Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Sometimes it seems so easy that there are a lot of folks who, as soon as they say they want to have a baby, get pregnant immediately and have no troubles with fertility or have expanding their family. But for some women and men and couples, they realize that this is not as easy as they thought it was, and they wind up finding out that they're not going to have the easiest time despite their best efforts, and they might experience a diagnosis that we know in the medical world as infertility. Now, when that happens, there are some options, and some of those options are things we're going to discuss today. I'm with Dr. Jingwen Ho from Kaiser Permanente, and we're going to talk a little bit about What happens when somebody finds out that they are going to have some trouble conceiving? And what are some of the scientific ways that we have helped to to expand families by using different techniques that have been developed within the last 5, 10, 20 years, but continue to evolve? So I want to thank you for joining me today on The Body Show. Thank you, Kathy, for having me. Now let's talk a little bit about fertility. Fertility is something everyone takes for granted. There are certain ages where it might be easier to to have a child. Your background comes from OBGYN, so you're dealing mainly with women, and you have a specialty in reproductive health. So what would be the prime ages in general? I realize there's special circumstances all the time. But what are the average ages where it is optimal for women to have children? Uh, it's roughly about 25-year-old around that time frame because your fertility, we call it fecundability, going down every year when you go getting older, uh, especially at 32, but it's getting much far faster uh, than uh, before after 37. So when you hear about some of these folks, you know, I think, what is it, Bridget Nielsen had a baby at like 50-something to, I don't know, Janet Jackson was like 50-something. Yeah, so these are unusual cases, probably using some assisted reproductive technology or maybe just statistically improbable. Yes, agree, yes. So the most common time or the best time might be in the 20s, maybe up until, you know, 25, maybe 25 to 30, 32 or so. So what is the definition then of infertility? How long might someone need to try, if they're in that age group, to to conceive before the definition of it's not, you're infertile might occur? Uh, it's a very, very good question. I think most of the time people uh, may not realize, first of all, the aging uh, is much uh, big. Factor. Uh, so, routinely, if we see a patient younger than 35, we would say you should try at least for one year because uh, most of the couple they will become pregnant um, at the first 12 months to, sh- to try 85% of them. 85%? 85% of them should become pregnant within the first year, 12 months try with um, kind of we call it just, just regular unprotected intercourse. Sure. So if they're trying and they, you know, the woman knows about ovulation and knows about when this could occur, then that's probably going to happen 85% of the time. Correct. So would there be a situation where someone who is, let's just say, you know, late 30s, early 40s, what are the chances for them that within a year they would actually have the ability to conceive? And does that does that number change, and does that change their definition of fertility? 
or infertility. It does because uh, uh, I mentioned earlier with age. Uh, oh, aging, everything gets worse with age. I know. <laughs> Sorry, Father. We call it advanced age. We don't really call old or whatever. <laughs> I call especially. myself old. I like the fact you're being very polite. We call it advanced age. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that for now. On. I'm not old. I'm just advanced in age. Okay. So if you are in your late 30s, early 40s, mm-hmm. in the course of a year, the chances that you would get pregnant with unprotected intercourse much less than 85 percent. I would assume somewhere in the 50s, maybe 40s. So I do have some data uh, uh, to let you know um, or to share. Please share because I don't know it. I think we talk about uh, 85% for maybe 25 to 30-year-old range. And then uh, for women above 31 or that that range, probably 74%. uh, From 31 to 35 is 62%. At 35 to 37 is 54% for the whole year trying. So it's going down as we as we age because there's are biological reasons why the body may not be able to support or or get pregnant during the same with as much ease as when you were younger. Is there an age where it's just too old to be having a baby? You know, this is a question. In fact, not only you, a lot of patients ask me when seeing me in clinic. Some of them is already um, 45, 47, 49 even. Um, yeah. Um, this is the way I tell tell them that um, miracle happens, but once your age above forty, especially uh, especially after forty two, it's going to be very difficult to have a natural pregnancy if you've been having a infertility situation before. So, if that's the case, there are some things that can be done to help them. What are some of the things that we use now? that help women who desire to have a pregnancy who might either be infertile in that group that has not gotten pregnant in the age where it would be optimal or those that are getting older and may need some help? Um, So once the patient coming um, to my clinic, first of all, I always tell them what's going on for evaluation afterward. Based on their situations, we have step-by-step management. Uh, First of all, of course, we'll counsel the patient whether there's any problem or situation or concern for your natural trying process, natural cycle trying, sure. including whether they have enough intercourse time, whether they have under any concerns during, the, during this intercourse, any pain, all those things. That's kind of we are coaching them, tell them how frequent it is and sure. what's the best time for conceive. Right, because a yeah. lot of women don't know, and it may not be something that they feel comfortable asking their friends, or they may just not have the medical knowledge. So the first thing you do is troubleshoot what have you been doing. Right. So whether you have uh, any situations during the natural cycle that can may maybe affect your pregnancy. And after that, if, for example, if they don't have time to have intercourse, of course, you should encourage them to have more. Um, at the same time, we always uh, to make sure every other indications that we um, already covered, including whether tubes open, all those things, the, the sperm is good enough for natural pregnancy, all those things. So you check anatomy because anatomy issues could occur. For women who have had previous episodes of infections or troubles, that could also affect their ability to conceive. Would other medical conditions like endometriosis or fibroids also affect that as well? 
Yeah, of course. Uh, say this way, uh, for fibroid, it happens very often. Maybe whole life one um, every woman is about seventy percent. So most of the time, we don't really worry about too much about fibroid unless you have painful period or heavy period. At the same time, if this fibroid is too big, for example, about five centimeter, or this fibroid kind of protruding inside your uterine cavity, that's the thing could affect infertility. So- Otherwise, you can leave it alone. Okay, so checking anatomy, making sure that everything should be working the way that it that it is meant to, and then if you still find out that someone has some troubles, what would be the next step? So you couldn't find any troubles, then, yeah, of course the next step, as I said, we always do things step by step, step skip. So the next, the following management, we always give some pay, uh, some infertility medication to help them ovulate, or maybe give them a chance to. Uh, have more egg job because each month natural cycle only one egg job. Yeah, for for the infertility medication probably brings two or even more, but we'll try to limit the number in order to avoid multi pregnancy. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio with Dr. Jingwen Ho from Kaiser Permanente, and we're talking about infertility and what can be done for women who find out that they're having a difficult time having expanding their family and having children, and what are some of the medical things that are available now that can help them through this process. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about infertility medication. What is it, and what exactly does it do that helps women to increase their chances of getting pregnant when they choose? to expand their family and want to do so. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Dr. Jingwen Ho from Kaiser Permanente. And we're talking today about fertility and infertility. So right before the break, we were talking a little bit about the normal process of having a child and the statistical likelihood with regular intercourse that this is going to happen based on age. We do know that women that are younger in their 20s are going to have an easier time in most cases than someone who might be older in their late 30s or even 40s. There's always those miracles that can happen, but sometimes they need some assisted reproductive technology, which incorporates the ways that different medicines and different techniques are done to help women who would like to have a child. Now, we were talking about medication, and you mentioned that there are certain infertility medicines that can be given that help women to ovulate. So how would a woman know normally if she is ovulating? Yeah, uh, so... First of all, very uh, simple way that if you have a very regular period, for example, 20 to 30 days roughly, and then that means 95% at least you do ovulate. So if you have regular cycles, something's happening and it's ovulation. Correct. So if you have irregular cycles, there could be a problem with ovulation. That might be why you're not able to get pregnant when you want to. Correct. So if you have regular cycles and you're ovulating at least one egg, you mentioned that there are certain certain medications that can be given to help women ovulate more than one. Mm-hmm, yeah. What are those medicines? So the most common used medication is uh, pills that you can take by mouth. Uh, so one of the name is called Clomid or Clomiphen. So probably you've heard of it already. Uh, so this is a medication we give to patients um, when they have their cycle day three-ish, then they can take 
the pills for five days total. So this medication is kind of working uh, with your estrogen. We call it estrogen receptor. That means it combined with some signals that the estrogen working in your body and then can make your brain feels like, oh, I should work harder to make my ovary to produce more eggs because I don't feel the estrogen working. So what it does is it essentially makes your body release more eggs Correct. for a woman, yeah. increasing the chances that one of those could get fertilized. Does it often lead to multiple pregnancies or, or not often? Uh, you know, it's all should be controlled. We routinely, we say, we tell the patient the multi-pregnancy rate is 8 to 12% with this medication. Uh, because when you think about natural cycle pregnancy, multi-pregnancy rate is about one or less than 1% only. So it does increase the rate a little bit, but it's not like a 90% chance you're going to have twins. No, definitely that's controlled by the, the, the doctor should monitor the follicle, how many of the eggs potentially may drop. If it's too many, will cancel the cycle. So there are ways that you can monitor this and things you can do to make sure that that doesn't happen. And the reason we wouldn't want people to have a lot of multiple pregnancies is because that actually, does it decrease the chance that each fetus will survive and, and be born healthy? Uh, yeah, yes. So, you know, I always tell my patient, you come to me, you are not really uh, only want to have a pregnancy. We should think about you want a healthy baby. That's the final goal. So multi-pregnancy with many complications, not only for the mom, but also for the baby. Yeah, so we do counsel our patient every time. So, for example, for the mom, we'll have higher risk of uh, miscarriage, of course, preterm labor, diabetes, uh, blood pressure will be high, even preeclampsia. All those could happen, like C-section, lose a lot of blood, infection, uh, et cetera. But for the baby part, probably is more concerned about the, by the parents is that if you have multi-pregnancy, preterm labor, of course, in NICU, organs may not be mature at that time. But also you think about other situations, including cerebral palsy, will be much higher. So serious implications yeah. for the child if they're part of a pregnancy that might have been multiple gestations at the same time. So things you want to keep an eye out for. So you mentioned giving Clomid as an oral medication, that that's one of the ways that you could increase the chances the woman will ovulate and therefore potentially statistically improve the chances of getting pregnant. If somebody has tried the oral medication, are there other things that they need to do? I just know that, you know, you hear about women having to give themselves shots or injections or all sorts of things. When does that take place? Is that the next step if it's still not successful? So uh, I think most of the patient will have this impression that between the pill and IVF, there should be some injectable medication for ovulation induction. It's true, but we don't really use that very often for every single patient. We do have certain patients like they have hormone problem or the brain situation, we, we have to give them injectable medication to help them ovulate. But if uh, after clomid, after, for example, three to six cycles, as nothing happened, we would like to counsel the patient whether they uh, may consider IVF. So IVF is a very particular type of treatments that can be done for fertility. So Clomid could be done without committing to IVF or any other type of treatment. And at that point, if you said, if you tried different oral medications for a few months and nothing happened, then you'd look at IVF. So IVF is a term a lot of people hear about. What exactly is in vitro fertilization? Yeah. Uh, so in vitro, that means everything is outside your body. So that means when you have this IVF process, you will have a lot of uh, medications, including injectable medications, sometimes 
pills also. Uh, so those medications will stimulate your ovary. In that situation, not like Clomid, maybe bring extra one or two eggs. This will make all the follicles grow. Uh, maybe most of the follicle will continue to grow. When I say follicles, sorry, I just explained this. That's the kind of house or apartment of each egg. So doctor, when they see a patient for infertility treatment, we only can see the follicle. That's why every time we see uh, infertility or treatment, we always say follicle. That means one follicle contains one egg. So with IVF, more follicles will grow, continue to grow, and eventually can be mature with special medications. And the doctor will harvest the egg with a needle, put through the vaginal wall and suck the fluid out. Inside the follicle, the egg will come out together. And then the egg will be put in the lab in the pitch dish. And then at the same time, the donor, the sperm donor will produce the sperm at the same time to like the egg and sperm meet each other. So what you're actually doing in vitro sounds like it's in somewhere, but it really is in a Petri dish. So yeah. you're taking an egg from a woman who might have had ovulation stimulated by taking various medications, and you are matching that with sperm from the donor or from the spouse or from wherever wherever that's going to occur from. That's going to be met with the egg, and that's going to be put in a dish. Now, that means that the fertilization takes place outside of the body. Correct. When you do such a process, is it possible to just, are you looking at doing one egg with with the sperm or do you often harvest more than one egg to increase the chances that this fertilization process could occur? So during the time of the harvesting, of course, we will get all those follicles we can see to suck it out, even though some eggs may not be mature. Of course, we'll try to suck all those follicles out. Can you see them under a microscope after you do that? Do you know how many eggs that you might be trying to fertilize at once? Yes, we can, but it has to be under a microscope because by our bare eyes or an ultrasound, nobody can see it. It's pretty small, egg. so you got to yeah. use a microscope. Okay. Right, yeah. What are the average number of eggs that you like to consider trying to fertilize in order to achieve a successful pregnancy? So there is no exact such number that you have to have in order to have a pregnancy, but At of least course, one. Yeah. Minimum one. Correct. Okay. Totally. So say this way, younger patient, we get more eggs, of course. At advanced age, we get less. Say this way, there is a roughly a ratio. How many eggs you get, and toward the end, with the developing of the embryo, how many you can get finally of the embryo number. So it's about one-fourth. For example, if you get four eggs, Hopefully, you can get one embryo, but depends on the age. Younger patient, you may get more, but advanced age, you may not get even one. So that's why as women get older, when we talk about that advanced age aspect, because their ovaries may not produce as many follicles, may not have as many eggs, that may decrease their likelihood of achieving a successful pregnancy. So when you have a situation where someone who desires to get pregnant might not have enough eggs to even even harvest, what is the next step? Would egg donation be something they do? Or if you try and stimulate the follicles and nothing happens, they just can't proceed? Yeah, you're totally right. That This situation does happen very often, especially for the advanced age. So for that situation, there's many options. So if the patient really, really want to use their own egg, we, of course, will try our best to help to see one thing is called something called IVF banking or bank the embryos. They have to have many IVF cycles to see whether she could get one embryo eventually or many embryos just in case, a backup plan. Um, 
if a patient would like to close the door, think about other options, we would like to talk to them about donor egg, donor embryo, or even adoption. So there's plenty of other options that could be discussed, and those are different things based on the woman and whoever she is is choosing to have be in this potential child's life and what they choose to do together. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Jingwen Ho. She is an infertility specialist and reproductive specialist in the OBGYN area at Kaiser Permanente. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about what is the process of once you go through IVF, what are the chances that pregnancies are going to be successful and what are some of the ways that some of the people that she sees have had success in their story of trying to have children and enjoy their reproductive years as much as possible. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Jing Wenho from Kaiser Permanente. And today we're talking about infertility. This is something that can be a sensitive topic for a lot of folks. You know, infertility is something that happens to a lot of women, and in particular, women who might have either advanced age or other medical conditions that affect their ability to have a child. This is, becomes a sensitive subject for them, particularly if they want to have children, expand their family, and or even if they need to go down the route of infertility treatment. Now, before the break, we were talking a little bit about what is IVF and what does that mean? What is in vitro fertilization and how does that take place? So we discussed a little bit about that process and you explained it would be harvesting of eggs and outside of the body in a Petri dish, combining with sperm, trying to create embryos. And then once you have created those embryos, the next step is to, to try and insert them back to the uterine cavity so that a woman could get pregnant. When that process takes place, you mentioned one in four, you might be likely to have an embryo that develops outside of the body. How many do you generally use to try and get a woman pregnant when it comes time to the implantation process? Yeah, this is a very popular question also. Um, for us, you know, we have our own society for infertility called um, ASRM is American Society for Reproductive Medicine. We have our own guideline, how many embryos put in. And uh, so currently we have a uh, word called ESET. It's called elective single embryo transfer. So generally speaking, currently our recommendation is only one embryo put in, especially based on different situations. Um, and there's a word from CDC also. It's called one at a time, simple. And for, from our guideline, this depends on the age. If you do transfer either called fresh or frozen transfer, uh, then there is different numbers. But the, the key word is most of the time we should do one at a time because that's to uh, avoid multi-pregnancy and avoid more complications. So the goal is to achieve pregnancy, but you don't necessarily want to put in you know, eight embryos at once. I know there was a woman, everybody called her Octomom. Uh, it's a long time ago. But, you know, in that situation, you don't really want to encourage the multiple gestation. We talked about the risks to the mother, the risks to the baby, the risk for, you mentioned cerebral palsy. 
a variety of other medical conditions that can occur to the baby in addition to some of the conditions that can occur with the mother. So you want to consider one at a time. If you were to try and implant one embryo, but you had several others that had been fertilized successfully, that means that you could try again with another implantation approach Mm -hmm. should the first embryo not be successful. Totally. A lot of embryos might be frozen. I think I've read somewhere that there are thousands of frozen embryos throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. And we're not really quite sure what what's going to happen to those. This is a really good question, which is, is a hot topic, in fact. I just came back from a meeting. Also, they discussed what they should do about those embryos. Um, they would like to encourage patients, if they don't use the embryo, whether you should just resign the consent saying discard, or you donate to research or donate to other couples. So they're looking at some of those different potentials. Because there's a lot of ethical issues, I would imagine. It is. A lot of legal documents also. And there may be some embryos that are out there for people who unfortunately have passed on. Yeah. So then there's that question as well. Who's going to sign the papers and what's going to happen to those? Now, for somebody who might have had a child and they decide to freeze some of the embryos that they did not use through this IVF process, what are the chances that they could go back and use those embryos again a couple of years later. Is the free freezing process, does that affect the chances of a successful implantation? Uh, not really for current uh, techniques. It's pretty uh, mature technique. And uh, the survival rate of the embryo uh, frozen and thawing process is very high. It's at least 95% survival rate. Yeah, so currently, even though the embryo that's um, frozen for 20-something years still can become a baby. That just sounds incredible. I mean, just the concept of you could have been born 20 years ago and now you're born now. I mean, medical science has advanced beyond anyone's expectations. Now, there's also situations where someone might need to do genetic testing prior to implantation. How is that done? So, you know, um, at the time of uh, freezing the embryo or to time for the embryo transfer, that embryo uh, routinely, that's day five to day six-ish, that's the time the embryo has total about more than 100, 180 cells in there. So there will be a biopsy involved, which remove three to five cells from outside of the embryo, which will be the future placenta, and send to the genetic company, and then we'll count the chromosome number. So that's called pre-implantation genetic screening. Well, that's interesting because I was just wondering, if there's only 180, you don't want to take too many. They might be important cells, but you said they would come from the outside of the embryo. So this would be forming the placenta, but would have the same genetics so that you'd be able to determine, hey, is this is this baby going to carry this genetic, potential genetic problem that someone might have versus we can selectively choose one that does not have that genetic problem. So it really does allow for some of this advanced technology to take place. Yeah. Now, When you hear about people who are doing, uh, there was the case in China where they used CRISPR technology. Mm -hmm. They used this technology to change the genetics of a child before they were born. What exactly were they doing? Were they taking out a potential genetic abnormality and putting in DNA that was not defective, (laughs) should we call it that? And is that something you see happening in the world of reproductive technology? It's a very, very um, sensitive question at this current moment. I think it's banned for now. Uh, It's banned, right? Yeah. Uh, So that's a technique used as special. We call it enzyme, which can cut specific gene with specific DNA sequencing to change 
the protein how to ex- express. So that's how it, that's how it can be done. Whether or not we should do it, it totally has been done for all uh, cancer patients. Right. Yeah. So I think as technology improves, we're going to see that some of the techniques that we know about now might be implemented in different areas in the future. Where do you see your field of reproductive health going in the next couple of years? Um, this is a very good question. I think, uh, first of all, more and more patients will be involved for this situation. And I think with uh, um, this uh, high technique currently developed, so more and more couple they are thinking about kind of PGS, we talk about screening the embryo to get better outcome, even though I heard this also involved the gender selection, or in the future they may select the hair, the color of the eyes, all those things. Well, we're going to hope that that doesn't happen anytime soon. All right, I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You can hear The Body Show again right here at hawaiipublicradio.org. Our engineer is David Chong, and we will see you next week when we talk more on The Body Show. More to come.